When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Al from White Plains, and this is New Report, Old Report. Here on Tuesday, October 29th, my birthday, from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show's bonus content by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts as well as at londonbridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437 or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same and we'll play what you have to say on air again by calling 929-274-3437. This week, the World Series is now the Astros to lose and have we found a good team in the National Football League yet? Check your sources, we're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. So exciting that the quote-unquote sports equinox happened on Sunday, where all four major sports were kicking off so to speak, on the same day, and we had Tiger Woods playing overseas, winning another championship to boot. So make it five for the sports equinox. The NFL always circles the wagons on this show and in sports radio, as we know, but one of the more exciting things, at least that we've been keeping our eye on and should be more exciting just based on they are in the series The World Series. Three games to two. Houston Astros ahead. Now, if you had said that last week when we were doing the show, we didn't know who would win where and what would happen, you would probably say, okay, we get it. Three to two. Going back to Houston. Advantage Astros. But that's not how the series went down. The Nats take two on the road come back home to play World Series baseball for the first time since the 30s and unfortunately can't get the job done as the Houston Astros take all three on the road. It's been a road series in a sense. Road teams finding all the success. We're 3-2 going back to Houston. Justin Verlander will take the hill in game six. Steven Strasburg will counter in game six for the Washington Nationals. We said on this show last week we were favoring the Astros just based on everything they've done offensively and defensively through this year. But for two games, we were completely wrong. And I wasn't in any way, shape, or form saddened that I was wrong with that pick. I'm pulling for the Nationals, obviously. I think a lot of America is doing the same. But the Astros grinded it out, was able to get game three, and then kind of cruise control their way for the next two wins, allowing just one run in each game, three, four, and five, to take it back to Houston, only having to win one game. 
thoughts thus far? And is this, I guess, surprising in a sense that it's 3-2 going back to Houston with the Astros seemingly having all the momentum? Well, Johnny, it's great to be back with you and all our listeners. And, you know, I would be remiss if I not, uh, did not uh, bring up the fact that my pick was the Astros in five, which is impossible, except for the fact that they're ahead three, two after five. Uh, I am totally miffed as to how we got here. Uh, you know, we talked about the greatness of the pitching matchups in the first two games with the big four that were going to go out there. Max Scherzer was just okay in game one. He battled. He's knocked around early, but managed to get out uh, with his team in good shape. And Gerald Cole was not the same Gerald Cole that we see. Um, he struggled. He was knocked around a little bit. And next thing you know, what do you have? Uh, the Astros find a way to get a win uh, in game one. Or excuse me, the, the, the Nats find a way to get a, a you know, win in game one. Cole's beaten for the first time in seemingly five months. And they've got the split that you desperately need to get home and you know, play three in a row. And then lo and behold, they go out in game two and they do the same thing against Verlander. And the Astros really don't hit at all which they had done a whole lot of throughout the, the postseason against the Yankees, except for you know a timely two-run homer here and there, but they did not put together big rallies. They did not string together a lot of hits. They did not do that against Tampa. They didn't do it the first two games of this series. So they go off to D.C. having lost with their two studs, their two Cy Young contenders on the mound in games one and game two. Uh, they lose to Mad Max, and they lose to Strasburg, who was excellent in game two. And they are completely in the driver's seat. And everybody that you can think of, including yours truly, does not think the series is going to get back to Houston. And just, just like that, it flips. It flips with a win in game three uh, over Annabelle Sanchez with Zach Greinke's struggle who was in two-thirds, but found a way to pitch out of jam after jam after jam, and Houston did just enough at the plate, and then stretched it out late, got themselves a win in game three, came right back, and won game four, where in their supposed bullpen game, their young starter goes out and gives them five innings. They knock around, uh, the Southpaw, their big number three um, of the Nats early. Uh, he gets a huge double play in the top of the first to keep himself in the game. And instead of maybe four or five, nothing. Corbin survives a two nothing first inning, but they add on and eventually it gets to four nothing. And again, the Nats don't hit. The kid shuts them out for five innings. The bullpen finishes it off. And then suddenly we go to game five and look who's on the mound again. Lo and behold, hey, there's Garrett Cole. And all of a sudden, if you're the Nats, you've waited 60 plus years, or I should say Washington fans, to get a World Series game at home. You come in with a 2-0 lead. You lose the next two at home. And then you get shut down by Garrett Cole last night. You scored three runs in your building at three innings. And now you face the prospect of going back to Houston 
down 3-2. When last you were there, you left up 2-0. So it just shows how quick it can flip, how fast it can turn, how amazing the sport is when it looks like it's taken a turn wholly in one direction and then suddenly, without any warning, boom, three in a row. A team loses in their own building, had all the timely hitting, had everything going for them, and they get shut down out of nowhere by not even one of the two big studs. They get shut down by the bullpen game, by, do you want to call him a fourth starter or a fifth starter, whatever you want to call him, who goes out and gives him five excellent scoreless innings, two hits, didn't walk anybody, uh, just got the ball back and threw it, no hesitation whatsoever, no four-hour game for him, and some excellent defense behind him, some timely hitting, and then Cole goes out and does what he does. Uh, two run homers, one from the big rookie left-hander. Cole, let's give A.J. Hinch some, uh, some credit here. A.J. Hinch doesn't start the big kid at all in the first two games because he's principally a D.H. They want their best defensive team on the field, but Reddick's not hitting much. So what do you do? You got Garrett Cole out there, the strategy being, well, we'll put the kid in left field. They're probably not going to pull the ball too much off of Garrett Cole. And they flip Brantley over to right. He normally plays left. And the kid hits an opposite field home run his first time up. Gets a couple more knocks. And they had another two-run homer. Four-nothing. Could turn your sets off there. It winds up being seven-to-one. And this team is now right back on a roll again. The curious thing will now be what happens with another day off and the trip back to Houston. Do they stay hot or does something happen to them and happen to the Nets? Uh, the big aspect of it also, which we have to mention, is that Max Scherzer was scheduled to go in game five against Caracol, not available, terrible neck spasms, couldn't get out of bed, couldn't straighten up, locked up on him. So their multiple signing award winner could not go. We don't know if he's going to be able to go the rest of the series. A huge blow to the Nets. Now, it's not the Max Scherzer that we're used to seeing. Uh, certainly, game one wasn't. That wasn't the Max Scherzer we saw against the Cardinals, who no hit them into the seventh. Uh, far from it. And we don't know what Max Scherzer would have been like had he gone last night in game five. But the point is, they didn't have one of their aces. They clearly uh, were short last night. You know, at the 11th hour, they had to go with Joe Ross. Who did a credible job, but, you know, the two-run knocks early. Uh, he got screwed on a bad call that cost him a two-run homer. Uh, you know, against the shortstop when he should have had him struck out on an 0-2 pitch. And lo and behold, here we are now headed back to Houston with the champs from a couple years ago up 3-2 in the series. Uh, they will go with their veteran, their stud, one of their two big Cy Young guys, Verlander, who will try and win his first World Series game and close out their second championship in three years. And the Nats will go with the guy who's been their best postseason pitcher in Steven Strasburg. That's tomorrow night. Can't wait. I know you said you'd love it if it was tonight. So would I, because I can't get enough baseball. And this series is so intriguing in terms of the way it is just completely flip-flopped in such, uh, such a short time where now the Astros seem like there's no way they could lose. When you went to Washington, it looked like there was no way the Nats could lose this series. They were complete control. They were hitting with runners in scoring position. They were pitching. The bullpen was doing the job. And the Astros just couldn't hit a leg. They couldn't hit with anybody on. They looked out of sorts. Their, their, their big guys were struggling. 
They weren't putting the ball in play. They weren't squaring balls up. And just one big hit here, and next thing you know, you, you've got a series that is totally done, a 180 with the Astros in complete control and coming home up 3-2 with Verlander on the mound against uh, against uh, Steven Strasburg, which should be an excellent pitching matchup. Could it take us to a Game 7? It very well could. I would be surprised. I have to tell you, I love the Astros tomorrow night, which means the whole world should go out and bet on Washington because we know I cannot pick my Yeah, games. let's hope. <laughs> let's hope. Take them and run with the money. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate for baseball when you have a Monday night as we're recording when the Steelers and Dolphins are playing Monday night football. Two trash teams, and no offense to the Steelers, but they turned to trash, unfortunately, once Ben Roethlisberger went down, and the Dolphins are tanking this entire season and are trying as best they can to get rid of everybody of value and try to basically lose all their games. And this would have been a good night for baseball to take the forefront, and they would have been in the limelight. Let's face it, they're on Fox, which would have gotten them more numbers. Unfortunately for them, they're breaking records every game with the lowest viewership for each game in the World Series with this matchup. I'm sure nationally, well, I shouldn't say nationally, uh, locally for Washington, D.C., and locally for Houston, the numbers are obviously going to be through the roof. But nationally, this hasn't taken on as much steam as baseball would want. Coming into the series, it had the same numbers as it did when the Red Sox faced off against the Colorado Rockies, and they were favored by a big number. This was the biggest number coming in the series. Astros were minus 200 to win the whole thing. And after two games, I mean, if you hammered the Astros then, you're looking good because it was plus 175 at least. It might have even flipped over to plus 200. For them to come back and win the series, and for whatever reason, people were writing off the Houston Astros, which if you've watched baseball this year, you can't do that. You have to hope that their streak of poor extends your streak of greatness. And unfortunately for the, Na the Nationals, who went 18-2 and heading into the postseason and in the postseason, the streak didn't start late enough if that makes any sense. They were kind of on the downswing of that run. There's only so long in professional baseball, as you know, where you can ride that hot streak. Eventually, you're going to have to come back down to earth. And after two games, they were still riding it hot. But then, unfortunately, three, four, and five, you score one run in each game. That's not just going to get it done, unfortunately. That's the easy way to put it. And I mentioned last week, we joked about it, how I had called the Houston Astros a little league lineup with four feared batters and the rest of the guys were bums. Well, those bums came to play so far in the World Series. You mentioned Jordan Alvarez. He comes up with a huge home run in game five. His bat's coming around. Chirinos, who was ripping the Yankees fans for leaving early in the World Series, Hadn't had a damn hit coming into the World Series, but thought he could rip Huge the Yankees fans. Two Huge home runs now in the World Series. Huge, Huge home runs. Big spot. Those Huge guys that you, quote-unquote, can't get beat with are doing the damage along with the other guys. Well, Tuve, 
game two or three, whatever it was, comes up with like double after triple after double. He's on base every time. They intentionally walk Brantley to get to Bregman earlier in the World Series. He doesn't do damage. Who's an angry young man. Yes. He's an angry. Remember, folks, Brantley wears number two on his back for two reasons. Obviously, a Derek Jeter fan, of course. Of course. But Bregman was drafted second overall behind the wonderful Atlanta shortstop, Dansby Swanson, uh, out of Vanderbilt. Uh, uh, Bregman was at LSU. So Bregman wears that, too, as a tribute to being drafted, not first, but second. He's always said he should have been the first player picked. He's never liked the fact that Swanson was taken over him. So that's the other reason he wears it. He plays with a chip on his shoulder. He is likable by those in Houston, dislikable pretty much by oh, everybody everywhere, everywhere else. Um, but the kid can play, and uh, he had struggled throughout this postseason. Uh, clearly against the Yankees and in this series. And by walking Brantley in front of him, uh, they left the door open. And, of course, when you leave the door open with uh, a 106-year-old reliever on the mound uh, who somehow, some way, is still being given the ball in these spots. Now, remember, the game was probably over uh, at that stage, uh, but that was the cherry on the Sunday, and that certainly put the hammer down on this game. Uh, but for him to still be running out there uh, in, in, in these important games is a little bit confounding at 42 years old. Yes, he still throws hard. and Yes, he's still got a pretty good changeup. But he, he didn't come in with a gas can the other night. He came in with a flamethrower. And uh, Bregman took a changeup, low and inside part of the plate, deposited left field seats for a grand slam. That's gotten him going. And that really seemed to totally jumpstart the entire Astro club on this little run they've got knowing now, right. going now. Because now it seems like it's pet, the torch has been passed to everybody. Everybody's hitting. Everybody who's coming up at a big spot is getting a knock to extend leads, to put games away, and then you throw in Springer, and then you throw in Altuve, and then you throw in Brantley, and then you throw in, uh, you know, Gurriel seems to now getting big hit after big hit, plus making incredible plays at first base, you know, night after night. Uh, they are, when they are rolling, and they're not even hitting all eight cylinders yet, but when they are rolling, they are, to me, uh, undoubtedly the best team in baseball. They have the deepest lineup. Oh, absolutely. They have the most versatility. They just don't have a left-handed pitcher. That's the only thing that's confounding. They don't they even don't put one left- on the roster. They the don't even put Forget one it. on the roster. We don't need one. Just in case. But they refuse to do it. They don't answer to anybody. Uh, they play with a chip on their shoulder. They play with a swagger. Uh, obviously, nobody likes what happened with the assistant GM who just got fired with his antics in the clubhouse. But uh, that's just being you know, having a moron attack. They are a tremendously balanced, athletic, gifted baseball team. And when they're rolling, they're, in my mind, when they're rolling, nobody beats them. Oh, there, there's nobody no question. Beats. You have to take advantage of their slightest, slightest mistakes. Whether it's one or two batters not hitting, whether it's Verlander or Garrett Cole not having their best night, whether it's they're doing their bullpen game, and now you have an advantage to take 
some sort of solace in knowing that you're just facing the bullpen. You don't have to worry about their starting pitching. You don't have to worry about Zach Greinke. Every little thing that they do where you have to take advantage of it, you have to do so. They apply so much pressure to you from an offensive standpoint. It's incredible. Because they have so many athletic baseball players who run the bases well, who know how to run the bases, who drive the ball to all areas of the field, and they, they approach games differently. They go into games with different game plans. Uh, the other night they went into the game against Corbin with an approach of just, instead of trying to elevate, of just looking at line drives. And all of a sudden you saw line drive, line drive, line drive, line drive, bing, 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 bing. All of a sudden it's 2 nothing. You know, when they weren't looking to elevate, they weren't looking to you know, put the ball into the seats. They were just looking to drive the ball with line drives. Brantley is really the leader of the pack, you know, on this team in terms of doing that. He's a guy who really never looks to elevate the ball. He looks to, he's very patient. Uh, he, he puts the ball in play to all fields. And he seems to be, I don't want to use the term satisfied, but he seems to be a guy who more than anybody else will stay within himself and just line base hits from foul line to foul line. And I think that approach, which is what they used against Corbin, really let them get back into the swing of things offensively where they stopped trying to hit the ball 450 feet. That comes eventually, as it did later on when they picked on mistakes. But you know, it's hard to hit good pitches for home runs. It's hard enough to hit line drives on good pitches. But if you stay within yourself and have a different approach where you're just looking to hit the ball where it's pitched and square up pitches and not try and elevate them and him as far as you can and stay within yourself, which is really the approach they took and went to school and what Corbin was doing because he was pitching everybody in, 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 in. So if you watch their approach, they basically never even looked away. They were only working off of half the plate which made their approach a little easier because Corbin did not throw anybody away. Uh, what Dolphin blows my mind away. too, Al, is no middle one... Middle in, middle in, middle in, middle in. No one and has an answer really to this. To school on that. No one has an answer when they do X, like you just mentioned, for example, in this game. We're only going to attack him in. All right. By the third or fourth inning, somebody on the opposing dugout has to look at this and say, wait a minute. They're attacking you when you throw inside, make an adjustment. In the Yankees series, so-and-so might be tipping his pitches, or we're only going to attack, for example, Severino, off-speed pitches that stay up. If it's an off-speed pitch and it's up, we're swinging. Like the old knuckleball saying, if it's high, let it fly. If it's low, let it go. If it's an off-speed pitch, we're going to hit it up. And they do that in the first, second, third, and fourth innings. By the time you blink... You have no idea what they've done, but they're up 2 nothing, 4 nothing, whatever the number would be. It's over. There hasn't been anyone that's been able to be in the other dugout and figure out this chess match and be like, listen, this is their game plan. What are we going to do to combat that? They don't figure it out until John Smoltz makes a mention of it in the seventh inning on his little note card and says, hey, they've been doing all this, and they throw the graphics up. It's unbelievable not only what they do as a team on the field, but who they have surrounding them off the field with analytics, 
and video and notes. They're like the Warriors of the past several years where they're so far ahead of the opposition off the field. When the, everything is combined, they're unbeatable. And they're going to exactly go right. down now. And That's exactly the, right. the stats aren't going to lie. This is a top five team in the history of the sport. Statistically, the, the, the and if curve. they win the World Series, that's going to be sentenced. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. The learning curve for everybody else is, is they have to play catch up. It's unbelievable. Because right now, in terms of the way the front office operates with their scouting, with their signing, with their minor league talent, with their approach analytically, their game plans, their strategizing from both their approach at the plate, on the mound, the way they attack you with their bullpen arms. Uh, it's a thing to behold. It really is. Uh, it, it shows you that when you have an extraordinary combination of talent, which they clearly have, baseball talent, athletic baseball talent, because these aren't just guys who can hit. These are guys who can run. These are guys who can field. These are guys who can throw. They catch the ball incredibly well. Their outfield defense, their infield defense, spectacular. Spectacular. Even their pitchers do a tremendous job fielding their position. Remember the play that Zach Greinke made right, with the bases loaded, okay, uh, early in game three with a little number out in front of the mound. Charging, coming in, taking the ball himself, quick throw to first base on the money. Half the pitchers in baseball throw that ball in the right field. And it opens the door for a three-run and four-run inning. They do everything incredibly well. They are always prepared. And I know it's the Boy Scout scenario, but they just look like they are totally in command of everything they want to do and the way they move in the outfield defensively. In infield, they're scouting in terms of you know, their positioning, obviously. So many teams playing shifts now, so it's really hard to figure who's shifting and who's not. But nobody is playing in a normal infield position like they were you know, a few years ago. Whether you want to call it shifting, whether you want to call it scouting reports as to where they tend to go the ball with the ball, whatever the case may be, you don't have anybody playing in a standard shortstop position, standard second-base position anymore. Everybody's all over the map. But the point is they seem incredibly prepared for what the opponent is ready to try and do. They always seem to be one step ahead of their opponent, whether it's at the plate, whether it's on the mound, whether it's analytically. It really is astounding. It really is. It makes you wonder how the Red Sox beat them last year. And it shows you how terrific that Red Sox team was. Uh, remember, the Astros did have some injuries. They had some guys that were missing, uh, certainly from, from the mound perspective. Uh, which hurt them. And I, I think that when you watch them play and the way they play the game, it really is extraordinary because they're a combination of old school and new school. It's not a bunch of big sluggers. 
Yes, they hit home runs. Yes, Springer hit 39 home runs. Yes, Bregman hit 41 home runs. Part of that is a vehicle to baseball. Part of it is a vehicle to ballpark that they play in, which is a bandbox, especially in left field. But those guys, you don't look at Bregman as a slugger. You don't look at Springer as a slugger. Even though they allow home runs, Springer plays a wonderful outfield. He's a great base runner. He's in a huge attack mode. Bregman, excellent defender. And excellent Altuve. hitter. Excellent base runner. Altuve is just a brilliant baseball player. Yeah. He's just a brilliant baseball player. He's To me, he's one of the three best baseball players in the world. You know, pound for pound, to me, the three best players on the planet are Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, and, and Altuve. The, the total package, you know, run, throw, field, you know, hit for average, hit for power. Nobody does hit for power like those guys do, but for his size, he hits for power. He's a brilliant base runner, even though he got thrown out there to try to steal third the other night, which was, which, which was not a good play. Everybody makes mistakes. He's a great defender. He's a brilliant base runner. He's a team leader. Uh, they just have all you tell what a player's got all the tools. They're a team that has all the tools. They have all the weapons. They really do. They don't have the big lumbering sluggers who are not athletic, who you can't put them someplace defensively. Even the kids playing left field hitting home run and going three for three. So it, it's just a, a finely tuned machine. It's an organization that is at the top of the charts in every aspect and every element of the game. And it's going to be incredibly interesting to me to see what happens in the offseason with Garrett Cole as a free agent. Is he going to leave? Are they just going to shoot the moon and try and keep him, you know, to keep this group intact? Because he will be a huge loss. He will be a mammoth loss because this is the best pitcher in baseball this year. No doubt about it. He's not. They say Verlander is going to win the Cy Young. We've talked about the fact they should be split. I think Cole was the best pitcher in baseball this year. But regardless, if he goes, that's a yes. They have, uh, you know, guys coming back from injury. Um, one in particular has been out all year. Uh, you know, the right-hander, you know, the young hard thrower. But you know, who had Tommy John surgery and is going to be back next year. And they have more of the minors. But this will be a major blow if he leaves. Will he head west? T to me, it's the most intriguing free agent scenario because assuming, which is a big assumption, but assuming they win, will he leave this all behind to head west? Because he's only going west. He's only going to the Angels. He's only going to the Padres. He's only going to the Dodgers. I can't believe he would go to the Giants, but obviously it's always a possibility because it's west. Uh, he would never go to the A's because they, they could never pay him. Uh, come come uh, to the team. He's a childhood fan of Al. Don't go west. That's not it. Come east. <laughs> come not, on he's, east. He's not, he's, he's, not, he's not going where it's colder. Come on right. home, brother. Come on home. Not going to happen. It's, and and they, would never, they would never spend those. You had your chance. Yeah, I know. You could have traded for I him, know. Yankee fans. You could have traded for him. You missed the boat. It was the missing link to this team. And now you're left short on starting pitching. A quandary over what you're going to do with shortstop, outfield guys in limbo, i.e. Gardner, uh, i.e. Hicks, 25-year deal out for the year. What do you do about that? You know, and yes, you still have Jacoby Ellsbury for two more years oh, or one year in an option. Oh, don't so, do that. We're trying uh, to have a fun show. We're trying to have a good show, Al. You don't have to bring up Jacoby Ellsbury. So I um, would say for the Astros haters. I guess what you have to hope for is kind of what has happened to the Warriors now in 2019, where 
that big name goes somewhere else. Kevin Durant goes to the Nets. Garrett Cole goes anywhere else but the Astros because he was vital to this team, and he'll continue to be as they try to win the World Series. I would be remiss if we didn't mention two newsworthy items, probably the two biggest items, really, if you think about it, of this World Series. There hasn't been a lot of big moments, per se, or, like, picture-perfect memories that we're going to get. The loudest noise, unfortunately for some Nationals fans, the loudest noise of the three home Nationals games came from when the president was put up on the screen where boos rained down louder than have ever rained down at a professional baseball game, which was glorious to hear in both C. And perhaps the best moment of the night came in the seventh inning, in the bottom of the seventh, when two women decided they had had enough baseball. It was time for America's pastime, not baseball, but boobs. And flashed Garrett Cole and the audience, Julia Rose and Lauren Summer, and were promptly, quickly banned from baseball banned stadiums and facilities for life. Banned for life. <laughs> banned for life, which is a long, long time. Banned for life, Al. Now, baseball has its troubles penalty, with, with... I think that penalty is a tad severe. Well, I, I would agree. Baseball has its troubles banned. with... Rob Drake should be banned for life. All right? Umpire Rob Drake should be <laughs> banned for life. Right? He should lose his job, and the commissioner should stand up and show some gumption. For once, show some balls, take on the umpire's union, and ban Rob Drake for life for his tweet, which John will explain in a moment. Instead, we're worried about a couple young gals who, maybe, who knows, maybe they have a couple cocktails too many. But, you know, this game was a little <laughs> out of hand. They love baseball, Al. What's the problem? They love baseball. They love Garrett it's Cole. Girl, What's the problem? How are, we ban- how are we banning girls from baseball? We want girls at the ballpark. We don't want to keep them out of the ballpark. We want girls at the ballpark. It's just not a good look at all. This is not how you get show. your younger fans and your youth interested in baseball. You want to bring the younger demographic aboard, it's not going to be a pitch clock or automated outs or safe calls or bases on balls or strikes or whatever. I this is how mere, you bring the youth to baseball. A slap on the wrists would have been satisfactory for me. That would have been plenty. Just a slap on the wrist. What did, what did they do that was so, so severe, so damaging? Just having a little good, not-so-clean fun. I mean, come on. That's going to be the best moment of the World Series, hands down. Even if the Astros win, even if the Nationals win, that's what everybody's going to remember. Yeah, that's nice. The Astros won another championship. Or, oh, the Nationals won their first title in franchise history. Yeah, but did you see the boobs in Game 5? That's what we're going to remember. So shout out to those ladies. And shame nice on job, you, Major ladies. League Baseball. Nice Major job, League ladies. Baseball, who can't figure out disposition and punishments for PEDs, domestic violence, uh, Rob the, Drake. the GM from the Astros running his Rob mouth. Drake. Rob Drake saying he's going to start a civil war. He's going to go buy guns if that's going to be the case. They can't figure any of that out. It takes that's weeks, months, and that, years. That, that's a good look for baseball. One of our umpires. We have mass murders throughout the country right, with assault rifles. We have kids getting butchered in schools. We have a guy going into Walmart looking to kill as many Hispanics as possible. We have a guy, you know, 
in Las Vegas, just knocking off people at a country and western concert, left and right from a hotel room. Meanwhile, Rob Drake says, he's going to impeach my president. I'm going to get an assault rifle. Starting the war. That's a great look for Major League Baseball. Let's make sure we get Rob behind the plate. Why don't we have Rob work? Get, why don't we bring Rob and him work game six, Mr. Commissioner? I mean, could you be a bigger dunce? Could you be a bigger dope? How are you not taking on the umpires union and for once showing some flat out guts? Okay, some intestinal fortitude and saying, okay, I'll take on a union. You're done, son. Come on into the office. Here's the deal. You will never umpire a Major League Baseball again. Major League Baseball game again as long as I am commissioner. You are banned for life. You are suspended. Period. That's suspended. You are banned. Your job is history. Right. You're done. You're out. You're never gonna, there's, there's no coming back. There's no like these uh, PED suspensions, these five-time losers who keep coming back, keep coming. There's no appealing this. Right? You're done. It's over. I'm the commissioner of baseball. I'm acting to the best interest of baseball. Your job is history. And if the union wants to sue me, sue me. Go ahead. I'll see you in court. You ain't going to be between the white lines again, son. Not with what you just said. That is unforgivable. You're not some 12-year-old. You're not some 22-year-old. You're a 50-plus-year-old man. What are you thinking? What could you possibly have been thinking to put that out on Twitter? It has nothing to do with politics. I don't care if you're Republican. I don't care if you're Democrat. I don't care if you love Donald Trump. I don't care if you hate him. doesn't matter to me. The point is this. In this climate, in this country, with all the people who have been killed, kids, adults, in these mass murders, these hate crimes, what could you possibly have been thinking to punch that into your Twitter account? Whatever it was, there is no room for it in our sport. Plain and simple. You, sir, are done. I can't wait to hear what the ultimate discipline is going to be for Rob Drake. What? Uh, he's going to go and have to take some classes. Right? He's going to have to take some sensitivity courses. And he's going to be suspended for what? The first week of the season? Right. Or, or he deleted the tweet, so it's okay now. He'll go take some classes and we'll make Didn't sure happen. he takes training. Please. Didn't happen. Please. Didn't happen. And these we're, worried sport- about, we're, we're, we're worried about banning a couple of young girls for life because they showed their votes. And not only that, they were handed this letter at the game. <laughs> they printed this up and had it signed and were ready to go before they left the stadium. How swift was that? Jeepers, cats. I don't know. Too much, if you ask me. And it'll be the best moment of the World Series. We I mean, is there some policy we don't know about? <laughs> Would those automatically get handed out if you show your boobs at the game? You're banned for life? Is, I, is that something we didn't know about? I thought this was a, a first-time offense that I've seen it behind home plate. We would have heard about Did it Major by League now. Major League Baseball Somebody's have that penalty it. already in place? Show your boobs banned for life? <laughs> Pre-printed form? <laughs> seems a lot. We, if that's the case, we have to find the first culprit and see when this happened, what the punishment was, and why we've gotten to where we were today. Because... We didn't need that. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. The National Football League, where the interest always lies. And we've been asking this question for the past couple weeks. And it's starting to come into shape, finally, in week eight. 
of what NFL team is for real. The list isn't a long one, but we're starting to maybe, maybe get a couple signs of what teams are for real or what teams are good enough now where even if the season goes south, they'll still do just enough to get into the quote-unquote postseason. I think the Patriots have put a stronghold in that because of their defense. The offense actually hasn't looked grand, but every year they seem to focus on one thing to improve on and get better as the year goes on. It's usually the defense. I think now they've focused that to the offensive side, and they'll be shooting it on cylinders in uh, probably two more weeks. The Saints, who we joked about once Drew Brees went down, with Teddy Bridgewater, had to win, say, two out of the five or six games Drew Brees would have been out. Them all. <laughs> they, they've won all of them. So that he was them all. Uh, that was completely unbecoming of us. They won all of them, of course. The Packers, cruising. I mean, granted, they played a Kansas City Chiefs team without Patty Mahomes, who did the right thing, by the way, in sitting his ass. Why Action. there was any discussion on bringing him back is preposterous, but typical to the Kansas City and Andy Reid-led Chiefs. But there are a couple teams now that are starting to break away from the pack a little bit as to they'll be okay as in they'll at least make the postseason. Just don't do anything quite as stupid until then. I, I, I'm still astounded. I know they've beaten no one, but I'm astounded by the 49ers. 51 points. <laughs> With seemingly just, there was no huge effort. There was no like, wow, they really, they really had to do everything. It just happened. You blinked, fifty-one points. Now, I, I, granted, a Cam Newton was Carolina team, but a Carolina team that had been playing relatively well. This was the first game for came. them where it was, oh no, they need Cam Newton back. Fifty-one points. Ran for, over two, ran for over 200 yards. With ease. Jimmy G, 7-0. The two New England quarterbacks are 14-0. Jacoby Brissett breaking away from Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, MVP, everything. Von Miller with ease throwing a dime to T.Y. Hilton on the sideline, rolling his team back for an Adam Vinatieri field goal to win the game. Granted, it's the Denver Broncos. I'm a Broncos fan. I get it. What a move by him to get past Von Miller in the end zone. No problem. Throw a dime to T.Y. We kick the field goal. We move on. There were some plays this particular week where you rose your eyebrows and went, okay, <laughs> we got a couple teams here now that are, that are looking like contenders finally. Well, in the AFC, the Ravens were off. Who besides the Ravens do you see as a contender for anything? Any a, 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 Anyone in the West? Kansas City right now is broken. Right. It, without Patty Mahomes, now we know he'll be back. We know he'll be back. But can we take their defense seriously? Even with Spags, you're running it? Not yet. It's brutal. No, you absolutely Not yet. can. It's brutal. So is there anybody in the South that's a contender? No. The Colts? 
We like Frank Reich. We like the Reich stuff. You just mentioned Jacoby Brissett's wizardry. Terrific. Do we see the Colts as a potential contender? It's tough. For the AFC title? It's tough. No. And now it's the tough Texans? in Houston when they the lost Texans? their best defensive player. Now well, you that's know that's going to happen every year. It's just a question of when. Unfortunately. He makes the tackle, pops right up, but ooh, he's got a torn pectoral muscle. Uh, okay. Could you imagine tearing and he's, and your pectoral muscle? And, and he sprinted off. I was going to say, could you imagine tearing your pectoral muscle and just acting like nothing's happened? <laughs> and I he mean, sprinted off. He ran off the field like, oh, he's just going in early for halftime. They're going to tape up his ankle muscles. or take, tape up his shin. He'll be fine. It's like Giancarlo Stanton. Like Stan. Too many muscles. That's why, I don't, that's why I make sure I don't have too many. Going for the season. Are they a serious contender in the AFC? For what? Maybe the division? So who exactly does that leave us with in the AFC as contenders? We have the Patriots. Oh, by the way, the one-loss Bills, destroyed by the Eagles at home. So let's cross the Bills. Not that they were ever really on the list, but because of their gaudy record, you could put them on the list. Let's take them off the list. Interesting Sunday night coming up. As my Ravens, who are basically the only team in the AFC that does not fear the Patriots, doesn't mean that they will beat them or compete with them on Sunday night, but they go to New England in their yearling sojourn. Seems like every year they go to New England. Why, I don't know. The schedule always works out that the Ravens play the Patriots every year. They make their annual pilgrimage no pun intended, to Foxborough this coming Sunday night in what is clearly the most interesting game of this coming Sunday. The 7-0 Pats against the 5-0 Ravens. That will tell us a lot about the Ravens. Not if they win, but do they compete there with young Lamar Jackson at the helm? Or they completely shut down and it's a 27-3 game. If it's a 27-3 game, you could cross the Ravens off the list. Right. Well, at least for the overall postseason, because they'll probably be okay for the North, but big oh, picture. I'm, talk, I'm talking about as a contender. Right, big picture contender. I mean, as a right. Super Bowl contender. To be a Super Bowl contender, you have to be able to compete with the Patriots in New England. Because remember, they're in the East, where there is no one, even the upstart Bills. So worst case scenario, they go 5-1 in the division. The point is, their schedule is as easy as it's ever been. So you must contend with New England, in New England, to have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Anyone in the South? No. Anyone in the North, with the possible exception of the Ravens? No. Anyone in the West, with the staffs of Patty Mills right now? No. So that's the scare of the AFC. And the NFC, you have two teams who are off to great starts, one of which some people thought would be a pretty good little team because of their defense. Another one people thought could be a good team but had a lot of question marks because of the new coach and how we get along with the quarterback and the receiving core and can they run the football and hi, my name is Aaron Jones. I can fly. I can run with it and I can catch it. 
And hi, I'm Aaron Rodgers, and I love my new coach. And hi, I'm Jimmy G, and we're 7-0. Does Dallas look like a Super Bowl contender right now? No. Do the Eagles look like a Super Bowl contender right now? No. And oh, by the way, you, of course, have, as you mentioned before, the New Orleans Saints, who we didn't think was a Super Bowl contender without Drew Brees. <clears throat> Incorrect. And now Drew Brees is back. So the NFC has legitimate Super Bowl contenders. And obviously, I didn't even mention Seattle in the mix as we have Seattle and San Francisco coming up, not this coming weekend, but the following weekend, which will be uh, an incredibly interesting game. So you've got a legitimate, uh, without Dallas and without Philadelphia, uh, and I didn't include Minnesota, because they refuse to include Minnesota as long as their quarterback is still playing quarterback. Right. And he when hasn't they're won not, me over yet. When they're not Four playing on primetime television, forget it. Four games do not win me over. But you have one, two, three, four legitimate Super Bowl contenders. You must, if you're 7-0, and you must be included in the conversation. You must be included. You have two in the West. You have one in the North. You have one in the South. And that doesn't include... Minnesota, that doesn't include Philadelphia, that doesn't include Dallas. So you could have five or six if those teams start to step up and put their best foots forward in the second half of the season, which is possible. Dallas has been up and down. We know when they're right, they're a Super Bowl contender. But they've been right, then they've been very wrong. We know the Eagles have been the hot mess of the league. You can't figure them out. Personnel-wise, everybody says they're loaded. They can't stop anybody on defense. Carson Wentz has been spotty. They've had a lot of injuries. Are they going to come around and put it together in the second half to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender? Time will tell. We know we have three or four, to be sure, four to be based, based upon their quality records, you know, just in terms of where they are right now. Well, the last thing before we leave... We record this on Monday nights usually, and we're doing so tonight on October 28th. Tomorrow, or when this episode and show will go live, will be October 29th, the day I turn 30 years old. From the old report perspective, what do you got for what I should expect for the next decade or so as a 30-year-old? From the old report that is twice the age of what you are soon to be, plus one, <laughs> plus one. So, folks, you can understand the disparity both in age, approach, mindset, etc. The best is yet to come. You've got a beautiful girlfriend. You've got a great career. You've got an old-ass partner. All right? You've got... Literally, the entire world in this day and age, it, it, it's literally a push button away. It's the flick of a finger away with what we live in now. Now, do I think it's better than when the old report was turning 30 uh, so many moons ago uh, in 1988 in January on a cold winter night? Because they're all cold in January. <laughs> Not necessarily so, but the world is literally your oyster, young man, and the best is yet to come. You have nothing but great things to look forward to with your personal life, 
with your career, everything that's happening in the sports world. You know, we talked about the fact that all four were going along with Tiger on Sunday. You know, there's more sports and access to them all the time. Athletes are bigger. Athletes are stronger. Athletes are faster. The games are more intriguing. Uh, they're more competitive. I'm not going to say they're better because I thought sports was pretty damn terrific when I turned 30. 1988 was a hell of a year. Just to give you a little perspective as a Syracuse grad, you had Syracuse in the Final Four and in constant co competition for it. You had my Lakers going two in a row. You had my Cardinals coming off uh, two World Series appearances, seven game losses uh, in, in three years, in 85 and 87. You had the Browns and Bernie Kosar. Yes, I was a Browns fan, folks, and followed them to Baltimore, going right to three consecutive AFC championships. So my 30th year was a year that was chock full of sports excitement, sports adventure that was absolutely off the charts in the three majors and the collegiate end. And oh, by the way, uh, the football orange were undefeated and uh, tied Auburn in the 1988 Sugar Bowl uh, against Pat Ty, who went for the field goal instead of going for the win. That was Don McPherson's club, Coach Dick McPherson's club. So there was a lot going on for the old report when he was a young man, 1987-1988. Uh, I wish for you a 30th year full of the kind of sports intrigue, interest, etc. that mine was. Because if you have that kind of year, you're going to have a hell of a 30th year. Well, there we go. For the new report, there's the advice. And for our show, go Yankees, go Broncos. Now, this is for next year, not this year. Sweet God help us. Go Lakers, though that could still happen this year. Go Duke Blue Devils men's basketball. Go all the teams I root for, and hopefully 30 will be a great year. Al, it is always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, for the big man, soon to be John Tiny Lund as he hits 30, we wish him all a happy birthday. Thanks for listening. Uh, let's hope we have a great game six tomorrow night. I am Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. Have a great sports week, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>